Pen Medicine, and welcome to the Well-Focused Podcast. I'm Mitch Sherman, and today we have Eric Rodriguez, who is the Education Resource Director for Karen Treatment Centers. Eric, how are you today? I'm, do- I'm good, Mitch. I appreciate being on. Yeah, I appreciate you being here. So for listeners that might not know, I just introduced you as the Education Resource Director for Karen Treatment Centers. Let's talk a little bit about what the Karen Treatment Center is and exactly what you do for them. So let me start off by letting you guys know a little bit about what Karen Treatment does, and then I'll go into the particulars of my position. So Karen Treatment Centers, we are a, we've been around for about a little over 65 years. We're one of the oldest treatment facilities in the country. So we treat individuals that suffer from a substance use disorder, um, commonly referred to as addiction, on multiple levels. So outpatient, intensive outpatient, on an outpatient basis, we deal with assessments and we have our residential campuses in right outside of Reading, Pennsylvania, and then right outside of Boca Raton, Florida, where we have approximately on our PA residential campus, about 150 to 160 clients every single day in our residential focused treatment facility. And in the last year, um, we have also opened up a residential mental health primary facility in Florida as well, just so that we can treat more. What we what we had seen is we had seen a lot of primary mental health with secondary substance use, and we wanted to be able to service that population as well. So this gives us the ability to do that. So for, for the education resource director, so my focus is on corporate and industry education. So how can we better address some of the stigma and some of the access to care issues that we see in our businesses uh, primarily. So a lot of that is around education. A lot of that is around um, going in, providing presentations, talking to employees, setting up assessments and policy reviews, being able to be a point of contact for EAPs and other mental health professionals within the organization and also wellness teams to be able to provide some support in the educational, uh, in some of the educational positions of substance use and mental health. So, um, my job is, is pretty, is pretty wide open and, um, it, it allows me to really be able to service any and all industries that are out there. And, and that's exactly how we got connected. Uh, so for listeners that might not know, we, we've been partnering with Karen. Uh, since January, putting out ongoing presentations as they pertain to substance abuse, and they'll continue through May. Um, but the presentations have been awesome. I've learned a ton. We've gotten a ton of great feedback from our employees that have attended those sessions. And I thought it'd be a great opportunity to, to bring you on, Eric, because as you said, um, addressing stigma with these things. Um, I, I've done podcasts in the past talking about mental health and you know anxiety, uh, pronoun or proper usage of pronouns. And I think addressing stigma, especially in 2023, is extremely, extremely important. And you even said yourself, uh, you treat substance abuse disorders commonly known as addiction. And I really think that the term substance abuse disorder should be unpacked a bit because I think that when you use that word operationally, it helps helps people understand that it is a disorder and not necessarily, you know, a choice that somebody used a drug once. And it's like, oh, why did you do that? And it is a disease. If you want to talk a little bit more about your experience with that. 
Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, it's been wonderful working with the with the Well Focus team. It was really a great collaborative opportunity to, to your point, you know, reduce stigma and to provide education to to the employees and the families, and 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 that's what it's all about. I mean, that's fundamentally in prevention and education. That's what we're focused on. So, um, I just really appreciate your team and and what you do. Um, <clears throat> the stigma. Yeah, destigmatizing is a big thing. Um, you know, I always try to <laughs> as the best that I can because I sometimes uh, language is one of those things. If you've been using addiction for decades, um, hard to start to change your own language, even if you're in you're in the field of substance use uh, disorder treatment for such a long time. Um, and what we what we think about when you think about addiction. Um, a lot of the times we we just in, instinctually have these preconceived notions or these cultural or societal viewpoints that kind of creep up in us. And when we think about a substance use disorder, to your point, Mitchell, like you start to think about this is a disorder and this is a medical condition. And it is a disorder and it is a medical condition. Oftentimes we see these varied kind of pers per perspectives on mental health and substance use, but actually they're, they're joint. Substance use is a mental health condition. It's diagnosed in the DSM-5, the Diagnostical Statistical Manual of Psychology. So it's a mental health condition. Um, and all mental health condition, conditions have a biological aspect to them. They have a brain chemistry. They have a change in the physical um, manifestations within, within the actual physical brain structures themselves. As we see in mental health conditions, we also see this in substance use disorders. So when you start to think about treatment of substance use disorders, we think of it very similar, similarly as treatment of mental health conditions, medication, management, behavioral change, different aspects of lifestyle changes. And we start to think of it in the very similar terms in treating the conditions. So yes, we have really tried to shift our language um, as professionals, as physicians, um, and then also have been trying to push the narrative and the change in language out to more general populations and um, general clients just to be able to destigmatize a little bit more. It's similar to obesity in the sense that it is a disease, as you as you alluded to. I did a podcast some months ago where we talked about somebody struggling with their weight and it's not that they are obese but they have obesity somebody is not an addict they struggle with addiction struggle with a substance use disorder and you know obviously we live in a time right now where people have grown very sensitive to how we talk to one another and what the quote-unquote proper term is to call somebody else you know i know that there's these quote-unquote woke culture battles that exist, unfortunately, in, in society. And at the end of the day, when we're talking about this, as you said, it is a scientific diagnosis. It is objective. It is not something that is arguable. But when you can combine it with being sensitive to those that do struggle with these disorders, it is, it's kind of like knocking two birds out with one stone when helping these people. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes we have to think about it in our own relationships and our own families and our own friends and our own um, co-workers and start to think about as an individual most individuals have been touched negatively by addiction in some way 
And to be able to kind of take your own shoes, the perspective piece, take your own shoes off, put, put your shoes on of, of someone else that's also going through this and dealing with it, you probably at some point have dealt with it yourself. So really to lean into the empathetic approach of like, hey, there are people just like obesity, just like diabetes, just like other um, chronic health conditions that are dealing with these health conditions. And it's not a moral failing. It's not a failure on their part. It is a medical condition. It needs treatment. It needs ongoing treatment because of it being a chronic condition like other chronic conditions. And this is just about maintenance. This is about doing some of the things that are put into your care plans, which, again, anyone would have for any chronic medical condition. For sure. And it's it's tough to sort of think about that if you're not familiar with the territory. You know, say you hurt your knee on a run or you twist your ankle or something. You can see it's your foot or your knee swelling up. You can go get an x-ray or an MRI and see something going on. You're limping, you're in physical pain. But when this is something that is going on in your brain, a lot of times it is subjective responses. You know, obviously with addiction, there, there can be more objective signs and symptoms. But as with any mental health, you do just sort of have to trust a lot of times the individual that is struggling with them. And I think that that is getting difficult for people to understand. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely it's 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 definitely like other like other issues, whether that be mental health, whether that be even some physical ailments. You talk about obesity, and um, you know you you potentially can't see the issue, or maybe you can see the issue, but there's a judgment, there's a kind of an instinct, you know, bias there, and we as a collective um because this is this is when you start talking about mental health when you start talking about substance use when you start talking about stigmatized conditions this is a collective we all have to be moving in the same direction together um to start to to face some of these critical hugely critical concerns about the health of our general population i mean when you start to talk about Numbers in, you know, in the, you know, 40 million people suffering from anxiety, 40 million people suffering from substance use, 20 million people suffering from depression. When you start to talk about these huge numbers, this isn't just a small subset of the population. This, these are, these are massive numbers that we, that we as a collective have to kind of walk in and start to appreciate and understand a little bit better. Um, and really start to remove some of those judgments and those bias and those kind of passive um, comments or even non-subjective language that some, some people are using around it. Yeah. And with the growing number of people that um, I should say are aware that they're struggling with anxiety, depression, other mental health disorders, because it's not like people just started becoming anxious and depressed in the last couple of years, I think there's just more of an awareness of it and people are able to identify it in themselves more. Um, you might see the connection more between the mental health disorder and addiction, even though addiction is a mental health disorder. Um, how do you look at the correlation between the two? Um, I know that it is common for people with mental health disorders or um, behavioral issues to struggle with anxiety or excuse me struggle with substance abuse disorders and vice versa is it one leads to the other is it a chicken or the egg kind of situation how do you view that you're absolutely right it, it, it's it's a hard thing to kind of unmask yourself um and what i would say is 
that's why we work with professionals to, to tease out and evaluate what is first and foremost, what is secondary, what is tertiary, what is, you know, what's going on for the individual and do really a comprehensive assessment as a professional. Because um, it's very hard to determine what is first, what came first. I oftentimes, when, when working with clients and they identify mental health as well as substance use concerns, I talk about what their experience was before substances really started to affect their life. Was depression and anxiety as prevalent? Was it manageable prior to you really seeing the substance use issues start to occur? Because what we find, in, and, and especially when someone has, a, has addiction or substance use disorder, what you find is, is oftentimes maybe they did have anxiety or depression, but it was manageable. And actually, the substance use kind of exacerbated the symptoms of the mental health, and then it became very, very prevalent that there was some co-occurring or um, addiction and mental health present when the person walks into your office or a client or w walks into a therapy session. So, some, so it's really about kind of teasing out what the history looked like to be able to, to kind of find what's going on. Because there are certainly some individuals I think of people that have trauma diagnosis, that have, have significant trauma in their life. 50% of those people actually will have a substance use disorder. And what came first? Oftentimes the trauma comes first. They have a traumatic experience, post a, a PTSD, childhood traumas, um, assaults, uh, you know, uh, war experiences, and they have these experiences and they find that substance use, alcohol, depressants oftentimes are a really good way to check out and not feel the symptoms that are associated with trauma disorders. So that is a very interesting, when you look at that specific mental health condition, that can very much be, hey, there was mental health and then there was substance use, but it, it can vary greatly. Yeah, it's interesting how it can exacerbate the symptoms, but also, at least in the short term, help with the symptoms of, of a mental health disorder. It, you know, I saw a meme recently that said, uh, normal people have, no, this was the meme. This is not my uh, choice of words. Normal mm -hmm. people have two drinks when they go out and, you know, feel a little drunk. People with anxiety have two drinks just to get the baseline. And... Obviously, we're not saying that people with anxiety are not normal. I struggle myself with anxiety. I like to consider myself a normal person. Maybe listeners okay. who have listened to me on a number of podcasts already feel differently. Um, but but that kind of goes to show what you're saying in terms of maybe using an, a, a potentially addictive substance to, to help mask a, or help um, treat a mental health disorder. The one thing that substance use does, whether it be alcohol, whether it be a stimulant, whether it be a sleeping medication, Xanax, the most prescribed uh, anxiety medication on the planet, you know, prescribed, non-prescribed marijuana, there's a lot of different things out there. Um, but the thing is, is typically what you're, what the individual is searching for is typically fun, relief, socialization, mm -hmm. a calm, um, checking out, going to sleep, like they're they're looking for that thing, whatever that substance chemical is doing for them to to have a result that they want and that's achievable to them in that moment. And the thing is, with with uh, especially uh, again illicit or legal substances, that it does that. 
it actually does exactly what you're looking for in that moment. To your point, Mitch, long-term, it might be very problematic, and that's when we come into substance use disorders, but in the short-term, it is actually providing a solution instantaneous, and that's why people like it, because they're, they're they're, they're immediately getting what they're looking for. Are there any of these substances that you're seeing more commonly now? I know for a while, opioids were very prevalent. Jewel was, jeweling was very prevalent and, you know, the nicotine in them. Fentanyl, I hear very frequently. There's obviously the increasing, um, num the increasing number of states that are legalizing marijuana. <laughs> that, is a, that is a very big question. Um, and the answer I would say is all of them. Um, that, I mean, and, and I, I, I chuckle a little bit. It's, it's not something to laugh about. It, it's becoming more prevalent and we're, it's not getting better. Um, when you start thinking about the issues with fentanyl, um, right across the kind of, if you're in Philadelphia, right across the street in Kensington, they have the, the new, um, chemical that's out that's called Trank, which is basically a animal tranquilizer that's being, being put in fentanyl. So when they, when they start doing tests out of the, um, supposed heroin out of that community, most of it has actually no part of that opiate chemical at all. Oh, I should reference that. N not that traditional heroin. It's actually typically the, um, fentanyl and the majority of it is now is tranquilizer and some of it is only tranquilizer. So when you start to think about we have had this big push um, uh, across uh, across the board, medically, societally, gov you know, in policy and government, of getting the ability to uh, reverse o overdoses um, with certain uh, certain prescriptions and certain products that are out there that can reverse the side the, the the symptoms of uh, of an overdose and really save lives. This, the, the tranquilizer and the, the, what the street re reference it as trank is doing is it doesn't have the ability to have those reverse effects. So these individuals will oftentimes come in and they will be, they will use the chemicals to reverse the effects of the overdose, but it actually won't work because they're not taking what they actually think that they're taking, which is either fentanyl or heroin. So it's becoming exponentially worse in the opioid crisis because things tend to adjust and alter as as months and years go on and then we have a lot of other issues going on with nicotine we have a lot of issues going on with marijuana i, I reference when when i entered the field so a little over a decade ago when i entered the field of substance primary substance use treatment we had very few people that were primary cannabis we, we refer to it can, as, as a cannabis use disorder cannabis issues um, that were coming into treatment. It was usually in conjunction with alcohol or um, other other issues that were going on in their life, and they had an underlying cannabis use disorder. Nowadays, we have actually a handful at any given time on our campuses because the high levels of potency and the way that people are ingesting cannabis um, is leading to some real psychiatric issues. So they're usually have a psychiatric episode, end up in the hospital, and then come to substance use treatment. And their substance use treatment is actually the primary. Again, today we're seeing that. Ten years ago, we, we saw very little of it. This is the first I've ever heard of, of 
the tranquilizer being used. I this, you know, even as somebody that lives in Philadelphia and, you know, I try to stay to an extent plugged into, you know, what goes on in the city, what goes on in the country without, you know, stressing myself out too much. Um, this mm -hmm. is absolutely the first I've heard of it. And, uh, you know, it's very fascinating. Um, you mentioned the increase um, in cannabis use disorder is I've heard a lot of conflicting information about marijuana and cannabis use is, is marijuana addictive? Cause I've heard mixed things. Yeah. So I'll, I just want to reference the, the chemical name of that, of what they're calling Trank is, and I always butcher the name. It's exilazine. Okay. Um, it's an actual very, very specific chemical uh, trank that's utilized, but I, I just wanted to make reference of it. Um, again, I always butcher the name. So <laughs> um, the, the, yeah, so marijuana is addictive. I mean, that's just, I mean, like alcohol, like other chemicals that are out there that have an addictive property, marijuana is addictive. Um, it, and I, I, I don't want to necessarily go down the, whether it should be legalized or non-legalized or whether it should be used for treatment of certain things or non-certain things. Cause I think that there's, there's validity in all of those, those talking points. I think that they can be utilized effectively. Um, I think that for treatment in, in certain aspects, and I think that there is value, um, to some extent in certain areas. However, with any addictive substances, we have to be very, very careful of what we're doing with it, how we're talking about it, um, and what we're using it for, and what the, and really what the medical community is also putting out there as well. Because like alcohol, I think of uh, marijuana and alcohol very similarly, it can be legalized, and we've seen marijuana legalized in many, many different states, and I think that it will be in the state of Pennsylvania at some period of time. I mean, there's two um, policies and laws up right now in the uh, state, uh, state uh, Pennsylvania state representatives really looking at the legalization of marijuana today. I mean, within the last uh, probably week. So I think that it's just a matter of when, less so if. So what are we going to be doing to be able to create some policy and procedures, both within the government, also medically and and in other ways to help to create safety around it, knowing that the increased psychiatric nature that we're seeing in treatment today, um, solely, solely from cannabis use disorders, and that we are really not putting this out there as this is a safe alternative of, of, of maybe other substances or treatment of, of certain things that, that it might not necessarily be the case. Because um, I think that just creates a, a false narrative and then can also perpetuate some issues and then also create some stigmatized conditions that are out there as well. So clarity of communication is going to be really important. Again, when, less so if, marijuana becomes uh, legalized in the state of Pennsylvania. It's really interesting because um, I know somebody that struggles with an addiction to marijuana, and I feel like more often than not, I hear that it's not addictive, and then I see somebody that is probably addicted, excuse me, struggles with the addiction. And um, I've always just been kind of confused, but talking to an expert about this, um, it, it's definitely informative. Um, but I really, really, really appreciate your answer about uh, clarity of communication and not necessarily answering in black and white terms. 
you know, my background is in exercise science and I answer so many questions about fitness and nutrition and things like that, mental health as well. Not that I'm an expert or a professional in the mental health field, but, you know, working in employee well-being, there's, there's certain things that, that we are educated in. But mm -hmm. what I'll say is rarely is there a one-size-fits-all answer. Everybody's different. Everybody's in different situations. And I think it's unfair to say, yes, marijuana should be legalized. No, marijuana should not be legalized. Yes, this fitness advice is good. No, this fitness advice is bad. At the end of the day, it, it varies person to person, situation to situation. And applying a, you know, a cookie-cutter response is going to end up giving somebody bad information. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll, I'll leave it with the, you know, it's, it is, it is, a, is a, an addictive substance and like all addictive substances should be, um, it should be a very thought out approach to whatever you're thinking about, whether it's recreational use or use for a medical condition. Um, it, it, it's important to, to start to have those conversations and make those determinations with the best, with, with, you know, the best information that's out there. Because it is highly, it, it is very addictive. Um, and the, I'll make note of this. I, I remember, um, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I'd be talking to someone that was certainly much older than me in that moment. And they would say, well, can't, well, marijuana, I, I use the term cannabis so much, but, you know, commonly kind of marijuana is much different today than it was, you know, in the 60s or the 70s as a reference point. And I understood that because I, I, you could see it. Um, and today versus where marijuana was 10 years ago is very, very different. The potency levels are astronomically high um, in, in the, the, the cannabis that's being manufactured and really created today because it is a it is a, a it's it's a it's a it's a very chemically based driven driven approach to producing high levels of THC within the cannabis. Um, so those 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 markers are so much higher, and the way that you ingest cannabis through vaping um, is creates a higher level of potency direct to the consumer. So you're starting to see this. Hey, we have increased levels of the of the of the addictive chemical and also the hallucinogenic chemical that's present in marrow in cannabis marijuana, and now we're having hey, this is increased. A way to for it to enter your blood bloodstream as quickly as humanly possible. So with both of those sciences kind of driving forward, then we start to see the issues that we see, um, especially with the acute cases or, or the really se the severe cases that we see um, when someone enters a hospital or a residential facility like ours. That makes sense. You know, 10 years ago, if somebody was going to acquire marijuana, it might be coming from their neighbor growing it in their basement or something. And now it's, you know, professionally grown and treated in a lab and regulated and all sorts of things like that. Yeah. They, they, the, the term that's often thrown around is that like chemically engineered. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's a it's a really actually a very important term to recognize that this that the that the the products that are coming out are chemically engineered um, and they're and they're really driven by potency levels. They're really driven to um, elicit the most highly kind of intoxicating experience that that user can experience. Right. Understood. Well, um, Eric, this has been a very informative conversation. Um, when I when I wrap up these podcasts, 
I usually like to ask a fun question, uh, either pertaining to the topic or not, uh, that the guest, you, was not prepared for. Um, <laughs> so this is not pertaining to the topic. It's been a little bit of a heavier conversation, so we're going to lighten it up a bit. Uh, last night was the 95th Academy Awards, the Oscars. And I was just curious, what is the best or your favorite movie that you saw that was released in 2022? I, I, I'm so, so this, this is uh, this is like maybe a, a good or a bad uh, commentary on it. I don't think I've seen or could even respond to a movie that was released in 2022. Really? I didn't watch, I didn't watch the Oscars. I very rarely watch TV. Um, you know, my... I love books. I love um, I love to watch old movies. Um, I don't have cable, so okay. <laughs> it's kind of one of those hard things. Um, you know, I I think about I was I heard someone speak the other day, and they they were talking about with everything that's going on in this world, whether it's addiction, mental health, war, um, you know. Upheaval. It's really important for everyone to kind of take a pause on their on what they're doing in their own personal life and start to think about the bigger picture and what you can do. Um, there, there's that old, you know, the 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 change, like you know, moving 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 an ocean. Like, how do you move? You know, how how can you possibly do that? Well, if everyone's a drop of water, we build an ocean. Mm -hmm. um, the ability to like be able to start to have these hard conversations and open up this dialogue to start to kind of make it better for the future. You know, I have a five-year-old daughter, you know, it, it's, it's all about her nowadays. So like, how, how, how am I putting her in a position to be successful in her life? Um, and that's, and that's a bigger question for me, not only her life, but our kids, what are we doing? So no, I had, I didn't, I didn't watch the Oscars and I, I don't think that I, I saw a movie in 2022 that um that i could make even reference to okay okay well hey i appreciate that response it's a thoughtful response i'm sure you read a ton of great books that are that are helping you know you be the best drop of water that you can be absolutely absolutely i've watched a lot of daniel tiger i will say that i'm actually not familiar with him <laughs> so Daniel Tiger is a is a uh, any parents out there is a kids show. It's a very educationally <laughs> kids show. I've watched a lot of Daniel Tiger. Um, I've watched a little a lot of uh, old old classic uh, child children's TV. Uh, little Bear, for instance. Um, again, it's all about my daughter. It's all about you know getting her in the position to uh, to be successful in her life and and you know not only educate herself with good television um because i think television is a great medium for for education um but also be able to like be be able and present with her to talk about the shows afterwards um and see what she learned and um and her experience in in, in some in some topics that probably we wouldn't be talking about so as somebody that does not have children myself i i i get why i did not know who daniel tiger was uh, but... <laughs> But Eric, thank you so much for, for being on the Well Focused podcast. Uh, thank you, Mitch. I appreciate it.